Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. Whether you are transforming yourself, your team, your business, or your community, we'll connect you with insightful and challenging leaders who share their stories of successful transformations to give you practical ideas for your own journey. Join us for another insightful episode of Creating Synergy. Hey there, Synergizers. Welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host. And today we have an amazing human being named Joe Stewart Rattray on the show. Joe is a country gal at heart and has had over 25 years experience in the technology field where she's worked in multiple industries, in multiple positions and worked her way up to into CIO roles and CSO roles, which is Chief Security Officer. She currently works as a consultant, helping her clients through strategic technological issues and opportunities and attributes a big part of her success in technology and cybersecurity with her qualifications in education and management. Jo has chaired a number of regional and international boards and committees and including some seven years on ISACA's International Board of Directors and is currently chair of its global women's leadership initiative called She Leads Tech. She Leads Tech is on a mission to create parity between the numbers of women and men in technology. Because of her involvement with ASACA and the She Leads Tech program, Jo was invited to join the official Australian government delegation to the 62nd session of the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women, which was held in New York in March 2018. A fun fact for you, Asaka has now established an award in Joe's honour to recognise her as outstanding leadership and commitment to increasing the representation of women in technology leadership and the workforce. Today's podcast is a pivotal one, one that I absolutely love. Uh, we spoke about Joe's journey, how she uh, rose to, to, to the positions in, that she's currently in now and how she and we can all enable more women in technology and some we also delve into some of the cyber risks that face the world especially during this pandemic i hope you all enjoy it cheers welcome to the creating synergy podcast my name is daniel franco i'm your host and today we have the beautiful joe stewart rattray who is joining us thank you for being here joe Thank you, Daniel. It's been a long time since someone said that. I'm very flattered. Thank you. <laughs> Not a problem at all. Based on all of our conversations we have, uh, we've had, I've gathered a really great opinion of you. So uh, I feel like I'm empowered to say that. Oh, thank you. Uh, really interested in your journey. Again, like I said, I've heard you speak. Uh, I've then caught up with you personally and heard more about your journey and felt really, really, I oh, felt the need for for more people to hear your story. So I had to have you on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey, what you do, who you are, your family life? I'd love to just delve into your background and learn a little bit more about you. Once upon a time, you once a upon long, a long time ago. That's always a good way to start a story, <laughs> exactly. right? But I don't think we want to go back that far. <laughs> well, depends. We might end up there. <laughs> um, I, I started my life in the bush yeah. uh, and I and I still am a rural woman. I still mm. live in, in, in the bush and uh, uh, but I work in the city. 
And yeah. quite honestly, with today's technology, we can work anywhere and that's Absolutely. and I'm certainly one of those people who do that. Right. So I'm currently on secondment to Silverchain Group. I'm their Chief Security Officer. But I also am the um, – I have a practice that I'm the lead for, so I'm the uh, Director of, of Security and Technology Assurance for BRM Advisory in yep. Adelaide. Um, so that's the other part of the day job. Um, and so, you know, I also walked down the path of being a CIO as well. Mm -hmm. So CIO in the electricity businesses. I was one of the first uh, CIOs in Australia to be responsible for both real-time and, and business IT. So that was, you know, SCADA and, and operational control systems as well as business IT. So that was an interesting place to be. That was mm -hmm. my first CIO role. Well and then also I've been CIO, a group CIO of, of um, a group of high-end tourism companies as well. Um, security has been a first love for most of the time. So I've been a virtual CISO for a number of organisations over the years. So, you know, when they don't feel they have the need for a CISO permanently, yeah. I'll go and give them some of my time yeah, to assist them. However, having yeah. said that, they generally then realise that there's actually a real yeah, need. Yeah, there's a need there, yeah. How did you – tell us about your, your journey into – actually, first of all, let's start off with family life. So you're – your background, children? No, children? Uh, no, no, I didn't have children. I decided I'd leave that to people who knew what they were yeah. doing and I certainly was not one of them. <laughs> so, and I, and you know, I still don't think I'm grown up enough to have children, yeah. although I love other people's kids. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's always great fun. It's I'm, great when you can hand them back. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the surrogate auntie who gives the noisy toys, Perfect, right? Yeah. yeah, and all the chocolate. And the there, chocolate yeah. and, the, and the red cordial. Great mm, to hear. That's me. I don't like people like you. <laughs> I know. I knew you wouldn't. Um, so I have um, uh, I have a husband and two dogs and Perfect. we live in the beautiful Clare Valley in South well Australia. Done. Oh, Gabrielle is going to Clare Valley uh, this weekend or next weekend. There you go. So, yeah. oh, I can give you some tips then. Beautiful. Um, so, yeah, it's a great place to live and I, and I love living and working up there. And um, so, yeah, that's home. Beautiful. And so your journey into the uh, well to becoming uh, a lead in, in tech and security, can you give us a bit of background at how just, you know, a quick sort of snapshot of your career and, 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 and your growth to the to lead roles? Yeah, uh, a lot of hard work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, essentially that's the answer is a lot of hard work, a lot of study. Um, and, and, you know, as a woman in, in this business, I have to say we, we're sorely underrepresented. And so... I always felt that I had to do that bit more. Uh, I had to be more qualified, uh, put in more hours, do harder work to, to, to get noticed. Uh, mm. Now, whether that's true or not, I'm not sure, but it was certainly my perception. Yeah. So that was the, the journey that I took, uh, 11 years of university. Um, and 11 years? So what did you Yeah, I did an undergraduate um, Diploma, then I did a, uh, did a uh, bachelor's degree and then I did a master's degree. All and, in tech or what was uh, No, no, no. Yeah, you did psychology, I remember mm. you saying. Yeah. yeah, educational psychology oh, yeah. and lifespan developmental psychology yeah. were a large part of that yeah, and, yeah. and education, ad adult education. Yeah, so, right. so, yeah, that's been a little bit different. And then postgraduate work was in, um, in IT and security. So, yeah, yes. So you said... Uh, you you just mentioned that the, f the female cohort is underrepresented in the uh, in the technology world. Why is that? I know you've done a lot, and we'll definitely delve into it. You've run a program for the UN in She Leads Tech, which is fantastic, and I want to dive into that story. 
But why do you believe uh, it is under it is mis or underrepresented? I should say. Yeah, why do you believe that? It is underrepresented in the tech workforce, but women are underrepresented generally in the workforce. Mm. And and companies are actually leaving thirteen trillion US dollars a year on the table by not employing more women at senior level. Mm. Um, and that came from the Peterson Institute. So that's not a number that I just pulled out of yeah, the air. Yeah. Um, Can you elaborate on that? When you, when you say leave on the table, they're just not. There are opportunities that they're missing. We know missing. that organisations, particularly if they have a, C, a female CEO or female senior management, are actually more productive. Yeah. The There's been an interesting stat come out just in the last two days here in Australia is that uh, we've gone backwards here. We've gone from having um, 12 female CEOs on the ASX 200 down to 10. Yeah, right. So only 5% of CEO roles in this country uh, are held by, in the, in the ASX 200, are held by women. I so did, I did it's a global a, issue too. I did hear a statistic though that uh, it was through the Australian Institute of Company Directors that top, I think there's only one ASX listed company that doesn't have a female in their board. Is that correct? I don't think that is correct. Okay. Um, the AICD last year uh, um, had an uh, had a piece in the Australian talking about 12 organisations yeah, okay. that didn't have women on their boards. All right. And those, uh, and in fact, when some of those uh, uh, chairs were asked why, one of the answers was absolutely astonishing. It was, well, we don't know any women that we could invite. Yeah. Well. Another said, well, you know, if we had women on the board, meetings would take too long. They'd want to talk. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So here not... we are. That was 2019, right? 2019, yeah. that attitude is still pervasive. So I, I think that kind of explains why women are underrepresented. Yeah. Right? I will go and research that because I'm quite positive. I saw an, I'm a member of the AICD and I saw an article uh, come through that said something like that. So let's. Well, look that's into interesting that, because yesterday, it, it was ABC yesterday, right? Yeah. Was, was, and, and it was AI, uh, it was CEO women. Yes, yeah, CEO. Banned. So, I'm t- yeah, I'm talking board. Uh, I know, not, but yeah. CEO women. Yeah. So, yeah. but as I say, that was that was from the Oz 2019. So, yeah, have a look yeah, at that I'll, as well. Yeah, I definitely will. I'm really interested in this because I think my brain sort of works in a way, well, you know, if you look at historically, you know, the, the heavy lifting roles uh, are generally, you know, there's statistics around this and I'm not, I don't know, and I'm not trying to be controversial, but heavy lifting roles generally go to the, you know, the, the male population are more, whereas in the more nurturing uh, roles are more the, uh, you see more in the female population. Technology is neither or one of the, either of those. So I, I'm trying to understand, and I just have two, I have two daughters, a nine a year old, well, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old who are obsessed with tech. They love coding. They're all in, they're into it. And so they're naturally drawn to it now. So I'm really interested, I guess there's two questions. Why is there this gap when it doesn't sort of fit the, the general norm, I guess? And number two, with you know, especially as a parent of of two young daughters, I'd love them to grow in this world because I know how fruitful and, and and enjoyable it could be. What are, what what are your let suggestions? Let me let me take question two first, yep. and, and let me say this to you: um, you need to do everything that you can to encourage them into a STEM career, into right. STEM study, and then a STEM career. Mm-hmm. Could you just a, elaborate on STEM for us for the yeah, people who might not know? Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Beautiful. So. Uh, it's really, it's about, it's also about the people that they meet 
Do they mm-hmm. meet other people that look like them, so women yep. or, or girls who are interested in STEM? So that's the other thing. They have to be uh, uh, open to those people um, so they can actually see that there is a path for them. That's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you a quick story on that. My It was book week a week or two ago and uh, my daughters kind of broke the norm a little bit one went as Amelia Earhart, uh, who dressed up as Amelia Earhart, who, if for those who don't know, was the first female pilot to uh, fly alone by across the Pacific and really a game changer in that sort of aviation world. And unfortunately was lost. I know, yes. I know. And so, um, but my, my daughter's got a little obsession with her and my other daughter was went as a neurosurgeon who took a brain into school <laughs> in an elaborate so uh i look for me absolutely that is the world that i'm really trying to push yeah. them into well of and course aviation is about technology these days correct and, um, and, and giving them the role models i guess yeah to, let me just go back to the story the question that you asked me though um the other it really is up to parents to mm-hmm. to uh, encourage um, a friend of mine in Queensland is very much involved in uh, helping chart a path for and, and helping parents chart the paths for their, their yeah. kids into, into STEM, particularly young women, young girls. Uh, and he said that he's been coming up against parents who are actively discouraging girls from that career path because of lower salary levels mm. than, than their male colleagues, and that's absolutely true, mm. and um, the, in, the inequality that, that they face. But where would someone... You're going to say, but why? Well, yeah, well, why? But why is, I guess, the ultimate question, I guess, it, it's a closed viewpoint though, isn't it? I mean, you're not really challenging your children to break boundaries and... and well, that's Ch- true. Challenge the norm. You know, I always say that, that, yes, people have asked me many times, have you come up against the glass ceiling? I've said, no, it's not a glass ceiling. It's a granite ceiling. Yeah. Because my dad was a builder, he taught me to use a jackhammer early in my life, so all good with that, right? But you have to crack through. You absolutely do because women do think differently and that's an absolutely positive thing. We need the synergy of the different thinking approaches, right? That diversity of thought is really important in leadership. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, it's, it's my belief that we, we should be encouraging our kids, our daughters, um, to, to crack through that the ceiling. The next generation, yeah, absolutely. It's not just the next generation. And beyond. It's beyond that, right? Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, it's about um, helping young women who are already entering the workforce all the way down to kids at school, right? To me, it's about uh, cradle to grave, Yeah, you know? Is it, is it a matter of time before we see parity or is it like, – how does it – Yeah, I can tell you about that. According to uh, Ernst & Young, they say that it's about 80 years before in the tech industry oh, wow. in this country we see parity. If we look at the United Nations, the Secretary General at both the 2019 and the 2020 opening statements for the Commission on the Status of Women very clearly said that – he was not prepared for his granddaughters, granddaughters, granddaughters <laughs> to be have to wait that long before parity mm. across, you know, employment types across the world. Now, that's 200 years if you add all of that together. Yeah. So yeah. they're the numbers that we currently have. That's frightening. It is frightening. So going back to the question, what can we do? Is just encourage? Is that your? I think each one of us can make a difference. It's about change of changing uh, the thought landscape, right? Mm. 
Uh, and we can all make a difference in, in small ways. For me, I always say, you know, we, all, we each have our own sphere of influence and we need to make those changes in our own sphere of influence. Mm. Start people thinking about it, equality. And by doing that, it's like if somebody says to me, oh, it'd be 15 man hours in that job. No, it'd be 15 staff hours in that job or mm. resource hours in that job um, or uh, manpower. Yeah, language is pretty... Staffing good. levels, right? So it's, it's, it really is about making those small changes. And you lump all of those small changes together and you have a massive change, right? So, and calling people out if the behaviour is inappropriate and inequitable, you know, that's the other thing. Whether it be a male or a female, you call that out. Mm. Um, you know, I, I was in a meeting um, not that long ago where uh, a chief finance officer uh, and myself and two other women and a consultant were sitting around a table discussing uh, an audit that was coming up and how it should be approached. Um, the CFO just looked at uh, his deputy and said, oh, well, you won't have to worry about this. You'll be pregnant again by then. <laughs> now, that is just totally inappropriate. I just looked at Gabby's face and it was... Yeah. Um, mine were the same. I, but it's yeah, true. That. So, and that was in that was in 2018, right? 2018. So we're yeah. only talking two years ago that that happened. And and I hear that kind of uh, happening. I called it out immediately. Yeah. I called it out and said, "I'm sorry, well that's done. inappropriate." Congratulations for doing that. That's good. Exactly. I mean, I could have lost my consulting position you, as a result of that. But I want. Yeah. Who wants to work in that kind no, of environment? No, I mean, you live to your own values, right? Exactly. So. And I think that's that's what leadership is about too. You have mm. to be authentic to your own values, right? Oh, absolutely. And so my value was don't take that. And so that's why I say we need to be making that kind of difference. So can you can you just go I'm like this is an interesting story. Your response, how did he take that? He was stunned. He looked at me and went, What was wrong with that? Yeah, well. He also so the lack the of same, self-awareness. Absolute yeah. and situational and awareness situa- too. Yeah. Um same person, different scenario. I was talking with a, uh, a couple of, uh, of guys in, in the team that I was helping um, build for this organisation and two older guys, um, great professionals, great with what they did and CFO walked in and said, oh, I suppose you three are talking about nursing homes given the age of these two oh, and pointed at the two guys, yeah. right? And I just looked at him and said, you're in the same – I couldn't help myself. I said, you're in the same age group, so I don't think this is a discussion that we really need to have, do you? I don't think it's appropriate. Wow. But I caught – you know, I called him out. I probably shouldn't have said you're in the same age group, but I just couldn't help it, Daniel, because uh, yeah. to me it Fire, was inappropriate. sometimes. <laughs> it was just inappropriate. Yeah, no, it's not a – So there are people out there with with those kind of attitudes that are offensive in the workplace. To yeah, to and I, it – does that attitude – do you think that attitude is getting weeded out though? I'd like to say it is but it's not. It's I was um, in Ireland and I was um, conducting a panel mm-hmm. uh, at a conference on um, just this kind of topic and there were, we had men and women on the panel. We had young women, older women, young men, older men. It was a really good panel and I was moderating it. And so uh, there was a young woman who was doing uh, – I was coming to the – Beginning, oh, I think she was just beginning her second year of her comp sci degree at the University of Dublin, so a very prestigious university. And so I was asking her, you know, what made you go down the tech path? And she said, well, you know, I had five brothers and my five brothers were, you know, into coding early. And so they were, but they were coding all these games that were sort of warrior type games. And, and she said, 
I loved the idea of coding and I loved getting into it. But she said, I didn't want to be blokey. I wanted to be able to create something for other young women mm. that would attract them to coming into, mm. into the world of, of, of build gaming. Build the and product you want to buy. Yeah, yeah. correct. And that, so that was her attitude. And so she was fantastic. And she, but then she said to me, the issue that I faced was that when I walked into my tutorial class at uni, she said there were 30 young guys and she said, i got to say, they were pretty stereotypical nerds, hoodies, perhaps hadn't showered often enough, you know, all the... All the <laughs> Played a lot all of the, video games, yeah. All the basement <laughs> sort of stuff. So anyway, so she said... But it's Pammy, like, let's not go there. Let's not go there, right? So she had five brothers, so she was okay with that. She knew what she knows, knew what that was about. And, yeah. And, and being the testosterone fueled environment didn't worry her much. Yeah, she'd seen it all. The other young woman, though, came from a family of... Six girls. Mm. So it, it horrified her. Yeah, well. Just too much testosterone and pheromones in the air for her. And at the end of her first year, she dropped out. Yeah. Even though, and, and so it was interesting. Both these young women held the same beliefs that they wanted to be there and they didn't see themselves as hardcore coders. They saw, saw themselves as creators, mm. which is a really interesting differential, right? Well, it's, a, it's, it's a more holistic viewpoint, isn't it? So yeah, it is. Design and creativity, yeah, but using code to get there, absolutely. Right? which I thought was a really was really and cool. Amazing. So I just thought it was interesting to see the difference. So one young woman was able to cope with uh, the environment, and the other not. So I think that's what happens when young women are going into the tech workforce for the first time. They're either going to love it and not be bothered by by there being such a predominance of of young men, mm-hmm. uh, or or they're going to hate it. Yeah. And they'll they'll change career quite quickly. The other thing that we see is that uh, young men and young women, when they first start in the workforce, will start at an even level as graduates. Mm. But the moment the first um, the first management style job comes on the radar, we start to see a pay gap disparity beginning. Oh, okay, why is that? You ask the employers. I don't know, but I will say this: women uh, tend to be their own worst enemies in some respects. Mm. A woman is very honest. If, if you said to a woman in an interview situation, and how much are you currently earning? She'd, say, she'd they, tell you she's I'm earning $50,000 or whatever it might be, $500,000. Yeah. Yep. You know, I'm earning $50,000. Instead of saying I understand this, this role is worth X in the marketplace, yeah. you know, where a man would go in there or a young man would go in there and say I believe this role is worth X in the marketplace or would – Straight out lie and say I'm on two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year when he's actually on eighty. But you know what I mean? He would. would I always uh, inflated the when I was going through the recruitment. Correct. You would be silly not to. But that's that's the difference. You see. Yeah. So it it is interesting. I have heard this this um, discussion before, not only from the start of a, a role, but once embedded in a role. That I don't know the percentages, but they're saying men are more likely to ask for a pay rise as well, where where the females are more... Interesting results came out of a survey that ISACA put out at the end of 2019. Um, It was the Tech Workforce 2020 uh, survey. About 3,500 professionals globally, both male and female, were uh, interviewed as a result. And they came out and, and the interesting thing about it was it showed that women if they asked for a pay rise, were more likely to get it than their male counterparts. Oh, wow. 
So, so that so, was interesting. So there you go, Gabs. Oh. There's one for you, Gabs. <laughs> She's smiling. You got her. I got her attention. So that's an interesting juxtaposition, right? Yeah. So it's it about is. women need the confidence to ask for a pay rise. Yeah. Because traditionally that's what it's about. Yeah. It's it's also about the 80-20 rule. You know, women are feel that they need to know at least 80% of the job to Before. go for that job. Makes logical sense, right? Yeah. Or, or to have, or to have um, uh, achieved eighty percent of their KPIs before asking for that next yeah. salary increment, right? Where a guy will do it the reverse. We like, generally, I think can we do twenty percent of that. Yeah, we generally think we know more. Give it a yeah. crack. Yeah. Give it a crack, <laughs> right. right? So, yeah. Isn't yeah. it amazing that we're? And I, and I, yeah, is it? It's amazing how stereotypes can grow out of all this. Uh, Mm-hmm. Look, we won't go down that path. I don't think we could talk hours, but I'm really interested in the program that you led, uh, the She Leads Tech program. Can you give us some background yeah. and story on that? Yeah, uh, funny story. It started off, I'd been, you know, I'm a, um, an active member of ISARCA, which is a, a, a professional body for um, IT professionals across the world in security, governance, uh, risk and assurance and So ISARCA, is that, stand, security. Is that an acronym? For? Used to be an acronym. It's no longer it's an no acronym. Longer, so just it's just ISARCA. ISARCA. Yep. Uh, we have a, about 150,000 members in just about 200 countries around the world. Great. So a large organisation. I'd been saying for years that we didn't have um, a women's program because, again, Highly male-dominated yep. association. Really needed to see some some exposure, like faces, people who looked like me. Yeah. Right? So God help them, but <laughs> close enough, you know. So no, the really, more of them around, the better we are, <laughs> Joe. I think definitely needed some female, some female, absolutely faces. So um, I was sitting on the international board of directors, which I had the great privilege of doing for seven years, uh, and I had made this statement over and over again we need a women's program we need a women's initiative what are we doing for our female members how are we encouraging females to join uh the association let alone the profession and so i was sitting in a boardroom in um brussels in 2015 june 2015 when they're giving out portfolios to the board members so far my name's not been mentioned i'm going yes a year just being a board member how nice and then the chief knowledge office officer stands up and chatting away and, and, and you know, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And, oh, and by the way, there's a brand new initiative and uh, it, we're giving it to Joe Stewart Rattray. Thanks for, uh, thanks oh, for spilling me, me in. <laughs> um, Ron, what would that initiative be? He said, it's the women's initiative. Okay. That was it. That was all I had was you're getting the women's initiative and, and you know, you've got to make it work. I'm going, oh, Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. So deep end. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, water deep end. <laughs> yeah. You're in it. Yeah. So uh, that was in June, and then in September of the same year, we kicked it around with the CEO. What we're going to do about it? How we're going to, you know, move forward? He'd employed a fabulous woman uh, to come on board who specialised in getting programs off the ground mm. and also finding uh, funding for those programs. So. She came on board and she and I met in Washington, D.C. And I have to say, hit it off like you wouldn't believe. You know, just two peas in a pod. Blah, 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 off we went. And so we began to craft 
this initiative. And so we had to give it a holding name while we were thinking about it, you know, so we called it Con uh, Connecting Women in Women Leaders in Technology. Much too long, much too wordy, but we, we had to come up with something just to start it off. Just, and we needed to, to find out from our membership whether they really wanted this because we're not going to go out and spend membership money if they don't want it. Yep. So we had a networking event at a, at a security, really uh, in-depth sort of security nexus um, event in Washington and it was a women's networking event and uh, we were stunned. It was completely sold out, this networking event, and there were the first time ever this conference had 30% female participation. Now, whether it was because we'd you know, posed the question about, about networking, women's events, women's initiatives, I don't know. But all of a sudden we had these, you know, all of these people uh, turn up and the networking event was fabulous. And we, we just said we wanted to run some focus groups mm -hmm. and to talk to women about the issues that they faced in the workplace, uh, how we could help them as an association, et cetera. Again, we thought, you know, we might get one focus group up. That'll be the end of it. We were oversubscribed in 15 minutes. Yeah, wow. So we spent the rest of that week in essentially in focus groups the whole time. And we kept, there were, you know, like themes that we kept hearing, but overwhelmingly, yes, we need this. And interestingly, we had some male allies, I like to call them, come to us and say, we absolutely as an association need this program. So I, I was asked to form a Women's Leadership Council. Um, so I did and I had global representation on that. We met for the first time on the 3rd of January, 3rd of January uh, 2016 in New York City yeah. and I have to tell you it was freezing cold. Mm -hmm. um, and we began to craft what it was going to look like and this is where She Leads Tech began to evolve and it became She Leads Tech. Um, and, you know, so we were looking to engage and we were so talking about not just engaging women but engaging our male allies as well. So we wanted to engage. Clearly we needed to empower. But what was going to be the third E? So a colleague and I um, were sitting in the lobby of the hotel after dinner one night and we were determined we were not going to bed until we had that third E. So a couple of glasses of red, Australian red <laughs> it's the later. It's the, best, it's the best way to come up with a decision. Really. Both <laughs> sitting there, we were quite near the elevators. Yep. And all of a sudden I heard the ding and, and Tara and I both looked at one another and went, elevate. Yes. So there was the third E. Well so it became engage, empower, elevate were our three. Brilliant. So that's our, our um, catchphrase um, or tagline. So from there we began to craft what this would look like. And we definitely needed to, there needed to be education involved with it. So um, own time, own place, anywhere kind of webinars um, and educational opportunities for women, particularly if they're out of the workforce doing the most important thing that women do in their lives, to have babies, you know, they need to be able to be kept in, uh, involved because we know that's when we often lose women yeah. during that 12-month period in Australia. Yeah. Really important. So we had those kind of opportunities of our, we were going to develop those kind of opportunities. Very practical stuff like how you find your voice if you have to speak to senior executive or the yeah. board, and yeah. all kinds of stuff like yeah, that. Great. 
So that's one part of it, that whole education and awareness about also forming global alliances with other organisations that are like-minded because ISACA was a bit late to the journey, right? So we did that. Also looking at preparing to lead, so preparing women to be leaders. So, And that would be, depending on whether, where you are on the journey, you might be an aspiring leader or you might actually be in leadership but you want some tips and tricks. We also wanted to showcase women and tell the stories that, that women had, mm. both positive and negative stories. So um, I had the very great privilege of rolling the program out personally with my um, staff colleagues um, to 16 countries. Well done. Including, including uh, three African nations. And I have to say some of the stories we heard in Africa just absolutely stunned us. Yeah. We'll leave that for another podcast. I think that's a whole other podcast <laughs> yeah. by itself. You, last time when we spoke, you mentioned uh, the story of the UN and when the decision was passed. Can you, that was really, that gave me goosebumps. Can you elaborate on that sure. story again? Sure. I was, um, it goes back to She Leads Tech. Yeah. I was hosting a She Leads Tech event in Canberra mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I had a, a boardroom full of amazingly quite high-profile high women and we were talking about where we thought um, She Leads Tech could go. And I talked about that notion of global alliances with other organisations, like-minded organisations, and I just said off the cuff, one of the organisations I'd really like to get my feet under the table with would be UN Women. They operate across the world. They're in the third world. They're in developing nations. They do some really incredible work with, with women uh, in the equality stakes and, and this would be a great place and I'd love to meet the ambassador for women and girls. And so I went on with the rest of it and said goodbye to everybody and the last person to leave the room was somebody from Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet who was very senior and she said to me, Joe, I, I know you're running for a plane but I'm going to send you a link to an opportunity tonight. You'll only have a couple of days to do something with it but I actually want you to put your hat in the ring for it. Mm-hmm. So I said, sure. And of course, flew home, didn't yeah. think anything of it. Standing up. Because Say I'm, yes to everything and then figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> figure it out later. Exactly. I'll work through this. <laughs> anyway, so I, I stood up, turned my phone on and there was a ding. And I went, oh, it was from her. And sure enough, there was the link. Oh, oh my gosh. So I'm standing there in the, in the aisle of the aircraft and I'm looking at this link and I click on it and I and I start to read it and I'm going, oh, my gosh, I can't do that. Yes, I can. All the things I tell women that I mentor not to do, mm. but I'm going, I can't do that. Yes, I can. No, I can't. Mm. Yes, I can. And what, the, what it was, it was to put in a submission to be a candidate and potentially become part of the official Australian government delegation to the United Nations 62nd session of the Commission on the Status of Women and to be an advisor to that delegation. And the theme for the session was um, empowering rural women and girls through the use of technology. So right in the sweet spot, right? Well done. And so... And then the thought process, I can't do that, came up again. Oh, yeah, came up again. And so so I quickly sent a text to my my American colleagues and said, "Um, do you think I should do this? Do you think I should put my hat in the ring for this? Because, you know, this would mean that our program is going to the highest level. They're American. So they said, hell yeah. yeah, hell I went, yeah. Oh, okay, <laughs> so the next two days I'm 
typing stuff up and I'm sending it to them. They're critiquing it. They're sending it back to me. And these two women were sensational. And I, and I would go, can't do this. I'd get two, two texts back saying, yes, you can. Yeah. So I went through all of that. And, and so, you know, uh, Sunday morning came. I did the final read through, press send and felt sick. I thought, <laughs> then I went, no, hang on, hang on. At least I've had a crack. Yeah. Right, I've had a crack. Yeah. So off it went. And but, but you still felt sick. Yeah. But I still felt we've, sick. All, we've all been there. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And because you really want this. Correct. So several weeks go by and I'm presenting in, in uh, Melbourne and my pocket's buzzing. And I'm going, that's really irritating. I'm presenting. I can't answer that. But it's obviously something urgent because it keeps buzzing. Anyway, I had a – as soon as I got off stage, yeah. I quickly had a little listen to the message. It was – this is uh, the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet Office for Women. Um, can you please call the Director for International Engagement immediately? And I went, yeah, this is it. This is the kiss off. This is the thanks, but no thanks. It's yeah. all right. I had a crack. I had a crack. Huh? So I rang and they said, would you, um, would you mind being interviewed for uh, the delegation? I went, uh, <laughs> let me check the diary. <laughs> Well and then, I mean, she did say to me, when would you like to do, when would you, yeah. would, when would you like to be interviewed? And I'm going. So anyway, I've worked all of that out and I, for the next, I think it was five days, I absolutely read everything about what Australia had done at the UN and what Australia had done in relation to the Commission on the Status of Women. I'd read all the stuff that Hillary Clinton had talked about in Beijing way back, you know, 20-something years ago. Um, and so I did all of that and, and I was ready for the interview. Well, you know, you can tell I like a chat. So what do you reckon <laughs> I did? They asked me the one question that I thought was a bit strange. Um, and, Joe, what's your role in civil society? I say, I live in it. And I went, oh, no, that is not the right answer. So I quickly backtrack as fast as I can. It's, I'm a member of it's a, cor it's a correct answer. Start talking, about, start talking about She Leads Tech and all the stuff I've done. And so I thought, oh, I think I've got to answer that. Think, think. Anyway, that was fine. Uh, and, I, and I just still thought that, you know, there were 150 other women applied for this. Yeah. What are the chances, right? What are the chances? So um, another week goes by and then I get a phone call from my, um, one of my referees and he said to me, and he had a really high-powered role in, in Queensland government, and he rang me and said, um, so I reckon you're going to New York in March. I said, pardon? He said, yeah, mate, I reckon you're going to New York in March. And I said, why? He said, oh, I basically told them they'd be mad if they didn't take you. So I suddenly thought, now I know why I asked him to be my referee. He was prepared <laughs> to lie for me. <laughs> Excellent. So anyway, you know, we don't cry in security, but about a week later I get a phone call from from uh, Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet and they said, uh, so are you prepared to go to New York in March? I went, oh, let me have a think about that. Yeah. Where do I sign? Of course I said yes. And then I got off the phone and I did. I burst into tears. I couldn't believe it. We don't cry in security. What am I doing? But it was just such an emotional yeah, feeling it's... to realise that I was going to play a part in uh, hopefully making a difference for, for, for women and girls in 193 member states. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it's, per it's your purpose, it's the reason why you're here is to make a difference, isn't it? 
Well, that's right. And so it was, you know, and, and I decided when I was seven years old that I wanted to go to the United Nations mm. and that I wanted to make a difference for other people. I don't reckon I was 30 until I knew what the United Nations was. No, I'm at least But <laughs> seven years well, old. A, well, you're a bit of a slow learner, were you, Danny? <laughs> I, was, I was in front well, of the computer because, games. Yeah. It was because a huge Audrey Hepburn fan uh, okay, and I'd yeah. seen a movie yes. that, where she had been working at the UN yeah. and I thought, that's what I want to do. So that was the story. Well done. So I got there and then the work began. And then the work began. And so what's the result of your program? How did it go? Um, uh, that piece of work uh, was the most amazing and very intense two and a half, nearly three weeks. And we did make a difference. We actually got uh, 193 member states to agree to uh, the position that we had put forward. Uh, and so that was astonishing. It's something that you don't ever think is going to happen because if there's one clause not agreed to, you have no agreed conclusions for the That's next right. six years. So 193 signatures. It's a lot. Yeah. And so, at, you know, we, we, we talked about everything, some curly issues that face young women in many countries. Mm. Things like they can't go to school for one week a month because there's no proper sanitation for them. Mm. There, uh, the availability in some countries of sanitary products for women is Not small even, yeah. to non-existent or very expensive. So all of this plays into some of the things that we had to discuss because we're trying, we're looking at the equality for girl, women and girls. So we need to make sure that they have equal opportunity, right? And so that means addressing these issues. And what stunned me was that some of the, the people who stood to speak on these subjects were often men because they recognised how uh, hamstringing this was for mm -hmm. young, young girls and women. So I was really uh, blown away by, by, by some of the diplomats. Um, so, yeah, so we, we, we made a difference in a lot of ways. And, of course, the use of technology is one way that if a, a girl can't go to school for that period of time, at least she, she, uh, could, she could work. Absolutely, yeah. Women can also connect with their, um, with their market if they're a young entrepreneur, for instance, or not even young, an entrepreneur. Because one of the things that you see in, in nations like Africa, for instance, you'll see that there are not a lot of what we call real jobs. Mm. So people out of necessity, become entrepreneurial. But they need to be able to connect to a market. Mm. So you can do that through and then, then you have economic empowerment as well through the use of technology. Mm. So these are some of the differences that, that, that we've made and it will be a six-year journey for those countries, those member states, to get to a point. But every year they have to report back to the Commission on the Status of Women as to where they're up to and what they've managed to do during that, that last 12-month period. Now, some countries are in better places than others. Yeah, I was going to ask this, that very question is that, you know, you talk about the sanitary and not and yeah. not being very uh, effluent in the, in, the, in the ability to buy these products. How are they buying computers and technology then? Ah, uh, the interesting thing is... Some countries uh, have programs in place where you, uh, where you can go to a central location and mm. you actually can spend some time on a, okay. on, on yeah. a device. Right? Yep. Uh, in others, there are some there are programs uh, available where you can borrow a laptop or you can you know so there are ways around this and it's about some governments are putting this stuff in place. 
The other thing, some countries are actually really connected, much more connected than we are in Australia, for instance. I was surprised at, at some of the African nations where the whole of the country will be connected, has connectivity, and that connectivity is free to the citizenry. So mm. that's a very different situation. It is. Brilliant story, Joe. Thank you for sharing that. I'm really interested in, uh, again, your role in security. Uh, we had a networking event not long ago where you spoke at uh, very well, I must say. The interest for me, we had some really great conversation in the room. The interest for me moving away from the the, the She Leads Tech but more now into business and and. Mm-hmm. I guess COVID is playing a really big part in in the security measures and everything's gone online, so therefore things are uh, things are getting attacked from from all angles. What what role are you playing within the silver chain group at the moment in in that? Yeah. And what is your advice for people in security? I guess it, it doesn't seem to me like everyone's taking this seriously as they should be. I think you're right. I think there is some. Uh a bit of complacency in in some instances. I have to say that we have we we have at Silver Chain have certainly seen an uptick in phishing scams, for instance, but not to the degree that we see in in other um, in other organisations or indeed in other places. You know, um, the US. There was a statistic saying that the, the uptick in phishing scams had been up to three hundred and fifty percent during COVID. Can you just explain phishing scams again? Sorry. All right. So a phishing scam is um, an email yep. scam, yep. essentially. You know, it's usually click on this link, or else if you yep. don't click on this link and give me your, give 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 your um, details, then it might well be your credentials. What if you or... click on the link and they're they're not asking for detail? Is it the fact that you've clicked on the link verifies the email address just for a start? Okay. Yep. So and then and then is there an opportunity if it takes you to a website that that website is? Oh, if you click on the link, you quite often. uh, One of the the classic scams is is um, from a bank. Looks like it's from a bank, Mm -hmm. and the bank is saying if you don't do this right now, your accounts are going to be locked. And so, you know, people panic and go, yeah, okay, yeah. fine, I better do that right now. And so they give all the detail of their account details yeah, and all that. So so what the bad guys will do is then take that and and uh, it's because it, it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a phony website. So they've, they've got all of your information. Yeah. So they can change all kinds of details and all of a sudden they're taking out loans in your name, mm. running up credit card bills, all sorts of things. It's amazing because like if I guess where my question is coming from is, most people these days understand that you don't put your banking details. When I say, okay, you're shaking your head as me and most people. Are. All right, so I don't put my details in. I'll, I'll just say that. And okay. you would probably also not click on the link and if you thought that there's a possibility, you'd probably pick up the phone and ring your bank. I, I do, no, I won't even – if it's a bank thing, I won't even – I know my bank, the way they the way their emails are structured. I guess it's more about if, <gasps> if someone sends me a link and I go, well, what's this? And I click on it and I go, oh, no, hang on, this doesn't look right and that's it. I cancel if, out of it. What you've probably done though is, is you could well have um, verified your email address is correct and then – Okay, so there's no real so, security so, breach there then? No, no, but okay. what I would, well, it could lead to one, but mm. 
Yeah, it depends. Yeah. Uh, seriously, the most risky, we call it, I call it risky click behavior. Yep. Right? So that's risky click behavior. Yeah. Don't click on it. Yeah, just if you think avoid. it is a real link, type it in. Just type it into your yeah, browser yep. and see what happens, right? You know, if you look, if you hover your mouse over some of the emails, so you hover your mouse over you the address, see you'll, the, you'll see yeah. what the address actually is and there's usually just, there'll be something that's slightly different and that'll give yeah. it away. Because the way an email is structured, some of these bad guys are now really good they at are. making an email look like it comes from your bank. Well, West I think, was it, was it Gabriella or Fiona? It was one of our team uh, members received an email from me. And yeah, I that's right, that's a bunny scam. Yeah, asking for, hey, just can you pay this bill or something like that. That's right. And uh, it, yeah, and, and unless you hovered over the actual yeah. email address or looked at it properly, then you would have, yeah, you could have. Yeah, and that's that's called a whaling scam because yeah. it looked like it was coming from you. The other thing is uh, with whaling is that they will actually target CROs or CEOs or, you know, so. It's a scary world. So I guess the as a as a leader, you know, of a business, what is. What's what, what? What is our role? Like, I know from you can talk about from a director level. Yes, there is a role to protect and, and the, the data and, and the people. The what's some low hanging fruit that people should categorically be doing and not educate, 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 yeah. communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, really, it's to me one of the things that I'm trying to do at, at Silver Chain is bring about a security first approach mm-hmm. where people begin to think about security. Because, you know, when you when you look at that organisation, there are three and a half thousand cl- clinical road warriors mm. out there looking after a hundred and nine and a half thousand of our clients. So security is not the first thing on their minds. Mm. You know, care of their of their clients is. So one of the things that we talk about is Think about the security implications if you lose your tablet or if or if you you're compromised, st- lost or stolen, that device is yeah. lost or stolen. Um, so I'm trying to bring about that change of a security first approach. And and if if you think something's dodgy, report it straight away. If you think if you're not sure whether you should be sending something via a particular means, ring us or email us, ask us the question. I'd much rather have 30 questions and only one of them be, you know, a real problem um, than not being asked at all and us having 30 problems, right? So it's about getting that security mindset in and particularly when we're looking at the technology side of things, you know, transformation where there's lots of new um, platform stuff coming in and applications coming in security has to be considered from the get-go it can't be something that's brought in retrospectively without it costing being ineffective and costing a lot of money to do that so right from ideation through to implementation and beyond to maintenance security has to be in that life cycle so that's another thing that i'm trying to bring into into the thinking so as a cso chief security officer you you walk through the door of a business and what's generally the first thing you start with, like you look at? One of the things I like to know is what reviews have been done recently or if we need to, to look at a gap analysis as to where we are against best, better practice. Mm-hmm. Really good to understand where you are, toe in the sand. Otherwise, it's all guesswork, right? Now, the CSO prior to me had had some really good work done. Mm-hmm. So it was about taking that work and ensuring that that we acted upon that work and remediated 
uh, any of the findings on it. So really, that's yeah. a really important thing to do. So uh, gap analysis is, is critical. You need to uh, say well, this is where we are. This is assessment, where... all of that stuff is really yeah. important and it has to be on a rolling cycle yeah. and then you can determine where you're up to. One of the other things too is to understand what tool set you have in place. Uh, I, I think Silverchain has been has a, has a fairly sophisticated set of tools in place, which is really helpful. Um, but it, like every other organisation, you you need to understand what that looks like. Mm. Do I have all the tools that I need? Do I have too many tools? Do I have tools that are overlapping? Do I have tools that are not properly configured? Mm. So there, that's another question as a CSO you need to ask mm. yourself as well. So that's not a short process. That's something that you need to do, again, a rolling process over time to determine what you've got, how you can better use it or indeed how you can use it at all. You'd be surprised the number of organisations that I've gone into that they've got fa fantastic tools literally sitting as shelfware. They haven't yeah. implemented them. Yeah. No, we, we work in change management. We see, <laughs> you see that all the we time. We see a lot of that. I, I, I'm, for a small business perspective, you know, with corporates there's there's money, a lot of money that gets spent into IT and invested, I should yep. say invested into IT. From a small business perspective, and you mentioned it before when you said uh, there are companies that call me in and don't can't really afford someone to look after their IT department uh, until they realize that actually we should be putting money into it. The, the smaller business world, what, what's the basic things that we could be doing, I guess? Is it as simple as, you know, we went to that Fortinet function? Uh, is it as simple as connecting with Fortinet and saying, can you implement some stuff or is it, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I don't know. what is. It, it's about understanding what you have in place, mm -hmm. how it's being used, how you can secure yourself as well as, possible it's yep. about being practical Daniel. so if you're using just a microsoft 0365 is that enough security or do we need to add more layers on top of that yes okay so what does that look like well again depending on the kind of organization that you are yep. uh, as to as to the security design that you will look to have but mm -hmm. one of the things that you need to make sure you do is think about the information that you're protecting mm -hmm. if that information would, if there would be potential harm to the individuals involved if that was leaked, then you've got a real issue. Or if there's um, information that you hold that you really don't want to see on the front page of, of The Australian or on the breaking news on the ABC app, yep. then you need to look at how you're going to secure that. And you need to secure it in a way that is commensurate with the value of that information, mm -hmm. right? So... If you've only got ten bucks worth of data, you're not going to spend a thousand bucks. Yeah, no, right? I, I guess that's crazy. Correct. I think it's my my point, especially yeah. for small businesses. For small businesses, how much do you invest? It's and about what, what do you? How much does it mean to you if this yeah. if this is compromised? What's your data worth? Yeah, basically, you need to Essentially, figure that out. Is it if 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 your answer is my business would go under? Because don't forget, there's not just the the, the financial issue. Brand reputation. But there's yeah. exactly right. There's the reputational damage and some organisations never come back from that. Mm. So if that's your answer, uh, my business would go under, then you do need to do something about securing it. And if you are not in a position to, to know what that is yourself, 
find an organisation that will assist you to mm. do that. And there are plenty of professional services firms, smaller smaller professional services yep. firms that specialise in small to medium enterprise. So they're the people that you go talk to and let them have a look at it for you and let them make some recommendations for mm. you. That's, yeah, a good place to start. Yeah. When uh, – what what is the obligation to leaders – uh, to protect that data, I guess. Well, Corporations Act, and I think it's sections 180 and 181 of the Act actually say uh, that uh, severe neglect, you are, you know, you, you, you are in you are in deep duty. Yeah. If you are seen to be in severe neglect, and severe neglect will also include security, mm. right? So you don't want to lose your house. No. If you're a director, you don't want to lose your house. No, no, you don't. So you, <laughs> so you want to make sure that you you do protect. So you do you do have, uh, and and you know, the other thing too is people are often not aware that, um, senior members of staff who may not be owners are also can be held liable as well. Yeah, absolutely. Under legislation, so depending on where you are, so you know we all have that duty of care. It is a duty of care. So. To me, the duty of care starts also with educating both at the top of the tree mm-hmm. all the way through the organisational tree yep. and and by letting people understand that what you're asking them to do at work actually has a flow on to their home life as well. Mm. You have to give them a bit of a what's in it for me, yeah. even at the top of the tree. What's in it for me? Well, this is how you can actually make your online transactions for whatever that might be, you know, purchases uh, in a more secure manner. Yep. That sort of stuff. Is two-factor authentication, is that sort of the answer? We talk ar- about multi-factor authentication. Mo- sorry, mo- yeah. Is that the answer? It's part of the answer. Huh? It can still, you know, multi-factor is not the be-all and end-all. Mm-hmm. Nothing is 100% secure. So how do you get when you've got – if you can just sign in with an email and a password, most people are pretty uh, – Used to that scenario, right? You yeah. start adding multi-factor authentication, but it's easy. It is easy, but if you there's some, there are there are a couple of ways of doing it. Right? Yeah. Some of the the um, you register your users with a particular authority, we'll yeah. say for authentication. Yeah. And um, once that's registered, that will be part of the single sign-on factor for everything that they do. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Or the other thing they'll do is it will just ask you to verify. And there's just a little app on your phone that you just go, oh, hang on, I have to have a look at that for BRM Advisory or for Synergy IQ. I just have to quickly have a look at that. And it will give you six numbers and you just quickly put them in. Yes. So I've worked with someone before that refused to download that app. Well, you know, you can actually make that a sackable offence. I I guess that's where I'm going with it is how serious is security that it it becomes mandatory. You don't sign this on. Yeah. If you have if you have the right policies in place, and people have to sign on to those policies, an information security policy and and um, an acceptable use policy yeah. would be the absolute minimum, um, and people have to sign off on it that they agree to abide by those policies. And if they don't agree to abide by those policies, well, it's not the right job. Yeah, I think the or argu- they can't have any access. The argument for this person was, well, this is my personal phone, therefore I don't want work apps and stuff on my phone. So. That is a difficult situation. Mm. Depends on whether you have a bring-your-own-device policy. Yes. Well, that's true too. In which case, if you have a bring-your-own-device policy, you can do things like you can have applications on 
um, mobile device management applications on there that will divide the phone into personal and work. Yeah, okay. And so the work side could be um, could be wiped remotely if that phone has been compromised. compromised. However, there are other, other mobile device management tools that will just wipe the whole lot. And so, again, the person has to sign off on that saying, yeah, I'm happy with yeah, that. Yeah, correct. Right? So, but you can, you can, there are a range of things that you can do. Um, the mobile device, sorry, the, the bring your own device discussion is six of one, half a dozen of the other, really, mm. depending on the organisation as to whether you want to go down the path of corporate phones and then there is no argument mm. or whether you, you persevere and put a strong policy in place that very clearly tells people what their right roles and responsibilities are in relation to into, their, yeah. into the, those devices. Mm -hmm. It's really good advice. The role of a CSO is you normally hear CTO, CIO. Is, is the role of a CSO something that we're seeing arise in? It's been around for a long time. Yep. Um, sometimes also referred to as a CISO, Chief Information Security Officer. Okay, yep, yep. Um, so that role has been around for, I don't know, since the noughties yep so it's not a new role um i think what we're seeing is we're seeing a change in in the cio role as well mm -hmm. um we're seeing it really that's really about information these days um so that's that's there's been a change so it's about that role is where does that begin and end if we're talking about they're looking at or a cto we're looking at devices where does that end? Mm -hmm. The CEO's got a pacemaker, which is a hackable device. <laughs> is the CIO or CTO responsible for that or is the CSO responsible yeah. for that? Well, I'm going to say, no, it's not my role. Mm -hmm. But, you know, seriously, we do have to think about it. If I look at, look at some organisations, they'll have things like uh, internet-connected refrigerators. Yeah. Right? I've got one at home. Well, there you go. Also, organisations <coughs> like Silverchain have mm -hmm. those kind because they'll be, have vaccines and medications mm -hmm. in them. Um, so all of a sudden, you know, you, you're looking at the Internet of Things and how do yeah. we how do we uh, secure that? Yeah, you know. So there's all of those discussions that have to take place. So you actually have to ensure that you do put a parameter in place for the role. Otherwise, all of a sudden, you're looking at a whole range of different things because these days, uh, information security or cyber security is definitely. Uh, converging with physical security. You know, I have responsibility for CCTV, uh, the security thereof, not the placement thereof, that's that's facilities <laughs> responsibility, yeah. but it's definitely um, the security of them is my responsibility. Intercom systems, whole range of stuff like that that all would never have been in the bailiwick of a CSO years ago. Mm. Sorry, I should be Italian. No, <laughs> you, you fit the bill well. The uh, I've heard recent stories of businesses being held ransom. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you're seeing more of? Um, to about, their to their data and being about, locked, locked uh, out of their systems and about the same. About uh, the it used same. to be. There has been, there was, uh, you know, five years, I suppose, we've seen a lot of it going on. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen big spikes recently, but it's, you know, it comes in waves. Prior to that, we were still seeing organisations being held to ransom, but in different ways. Yeah, it wasn't, right. wasn't this way. It was with 
human beings who were dissatisfied. Yeah. And there are some very famous cases about that and how they still held the organisation to ransom. City of San Francisco was was at one point was uh, held to ransom by a very disgruntled system administrator. Um, Mwilambar Water, I think it was, Malulabar Water was some years ago, um, again by a very disgruntled individual who ended up by letting some wastewater into the drinking water system, you know, all sorts. So that there's all kinds of yeah. uh, ways that it's been done over a long period of time. I went to a a function, it was probably two or three weeks ago now, it was uh, a room full of CIOs uh, in who were discussing the future of technology and what that looks like and how technology is now becoming more integrated with the consumer than ever. What role does a person like yourself play in protecting the consumer's data versus the internal people? Like where does, is there a fine line or is it, it's the whole sort of piece? Uh, there's a great quote from Alvin Toffler and it's something along the lines of is there any difference or, or is there any difference between um, between technology and magic? <laughs> and we're getting to that point. It's a yeah. very old quote. That quote goes yeah. back to the 70s, I think. It, it's, and we're getting to that point. Again, I have to ask the question, are the consumers my concern or is it my organisation that's the concern? It depends on the organisation, well, right? Well, I guess that's my point is that you've – let's use South Australian water, SA Water as an example, who have pretty much everyone in the state on their books. They've got all their banking details, personal details, addresses, everything like that, phone numbers. They have you. a duty of care. They would that, The moment that you hold that kind of information, you have a duty of care. Yes. Absolutely you do. Because if if you com if you if that is compromised in any way, shape or form, you're on the front page of not just the breaking news and the ABC app, right? Agreed. So my my question around that is where's the where's the fine line between internal data? And external data, and or is there a line? I think what's happened is we used to be really concerned about protecting our perimeter, mm -hmm. right? And the perimeter was very, very clear. And you know, we we're talking about firewalls, and we we're talking about yeah, you know, yeah. and all, yeah. all kinds of things around our, to, to protect our perimeter. What we are talking about now is not protecting the perimeter, but protecting the data for which we are responsible. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what we need to do, yeah. right? And so, absolutely. Um, that kind of data we are responsible for. And the moment that you hold, for instance, a credit card credit card details, you're subject to the payment card industry data security standards, which is a whole other world of, of, of um, I was going to say pain, that's probably unfair, mm. but there are a whole other range of controls that you suddenly have to be uh, mindful of as well. So okay. SA Water's not going to get away with that. But if I were a small organisation, yeah, so this is I would try not to hold that data because the moment I hold it, I'm responsible for it. So that's easy if I'm trying to get payment. If I've got a square reader even, if you're a very small company and you've got a square reader and that goes straight through, I'm not holding any credit card detail, I'm just flicking that straight through to the bank. Right? Yeah. That's the best way to do it or, or you have some payment gateway that you use. Yeah, so I guess that's where I was then going to flow on to. It was a small business, so you read my mind, is that they're a small business who's selling product, yep. T-shirts, whatever it might yeah, be, yeah. who have people's credit card details right. as well. 
they just use an app, is that good enough? Is that secure? Well, using something like um, any of those small business devices, what choice do you have? The only other choice you have is to do it manually. Then you're holding the data and you become responsible for the data. So who's then responsible for that data? You're not touching the data. The card is being tapped and it's going straight through. So the PayPal's of the world, they're, they're the ones responsible for that data? Or is it the small business? It's not the small business. It's not the small it's, business. It's, it's the payment yeah. gateway. Is it's responsible. the payment gateway. Yeah. So you're entrusting that they are doing everything that they need to do to well, make you sure. Well, so. you PayPal hope so. PayPal has been breached on a number of occasions. I know. Yeah, I guess that's the the point. And so there are all these other new up and coming apps coming out, and you think, oh, which ooh, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, Again, it's you. You need to have a look at it, and a small business is going to be really concerned about how much it costs them as well. Right? Yeah, that's true. Um, some of them, some of them through directly through the bank. There's a, there's quite a charge on that. So some of the others, it might be about one point five, one point nine percent, will be a charge. Now, can you can can your business afford that? Do they need to put up their cost in order to do that? Can they recoup the one point five, one point nine? You know, there's all those discussions have to go on for small business to yeah. determine how they best deal with it. Yeah. Again. When in doubt, talk to somebody who who that's their game. Yeah. That's what they do professionally. Absolutely. See a consultant. <laughs> well, I wouldn't necessarily no. always say, well, that, say see a consultant. No, but, that, you know, well, I'm a, but we are consultants, so that's why I said that. You so. couldn't help yourself. <laughs> so we're coming, I think, to the end uh, of the show. So thank you. It's been Pleasure. really amazing hearing your story. What what's what's next for for you right now? Um, to continue to make a difference. I don't think because, you know, I, I had the big life-changing experience mm-hmm. in 2018 and then again in 2019, that's not the end. COVID did put a little bit of a bump yeah. in the road, I have to say. Um, For everyone. You know, I usually, do, <laughs> I usually do between 8 and 11 international journeys a year and oh, wow. this year I've done one, yeah. which was early in the year to, to Canada. But um, I... I so, yeah, COVID has put a bump in the road, but it's not going to stop me. I still want to make a difference for um, women and girls. I certainly want to make a difference for women in the in the technology workforce and also for rural women as well, uh, rural, re- regional and remote women. Absolutely still want to make a difference there. And I'm... And, and to that end, you know, I'm on the board of directors of the National Rural Women's Coalition. I sit on... Um, a, an advisory group to one of the ministers for communications in relation to alternate voice technologies in the in the bush. So you know, I'm small ways still trying to make You're a difference still in the background. Anything. Yeah, exactly. And we thank you for it. So My pleasure. Great. Now, as part of our wrap up to the show, I like to ask just a few quick fire questions. Right. Put, put you on the spot a bit. Uh, we are very we're. we're uh, wisdom is one of our values at Synergy IQ, so therefore we read lots. Uh, we 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 always seek knowledge. What's one of your favourite books? If not, uh, if not, for, what's a book that you may have recommended for people uh, to to learn from? Oh. Something that you gained a lot of information. Oh, I've got from. a couple actually. Um, Great. Daring to Drive by Manal Al Sharif was one interesting book about a Saudi woman who dared, literally dared to drive and she was charged by the police with driving whilst being female. (laughs) Yeah, 
Great read. Yeah. Great. My husband began to read it and he got really angry and he couldn't finish it. Yeah. But it's for me it was it was really eye-opening and quite confronting. So I yeah, I I amazing Recom- book. Um another one would be Hard Choices by Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. which was about her time as Secretary uh, of State. She has some really interesting things to say about no matter what was coming out of her mouth, often there were the it was the scrunchy debate whether mm-hmm. she had a scrunchie in her hair yeah, or not. So yeah. that's really interesting. Um, and the other uh, book that I've I'm, I've just finished is Becoming by Michelle Obama. Yeah, I've heard really great so things. So there are three books that are, um, I've read recently that I really, really, really recommend. They're great books. Beautiful. What's one piece of advice that you were given that stuck with you? Um, it's my motto and that's dream big. Dream big and believe, believe in yourself because you can do it. Mm. Brilliant. Great message. So a bit quirky question now. If you had a time machine and you could travel anywhere to any time, where would you go? Oh, gosh. I'd go back to earlier in my life and um, – there are, there's one of two things I would do. I would either become a UN peacekeeper because <laughs> yeah. female peacekeepers make a difference in, in areas of conflict, huge yeah. difference, um, or I would have become uh, involved in international engagement and become a diplomat. Brilliant. Brilliant. If you had one superpower, now you already have one for the work that you're doing, but I guess if you had one uh, Marvel-type superpower, what I just that? want the cape. I want the cape. <laughs> you just want the cape. I want the cape and I want that, that cape to be able to wrap around young girls and women, young women, um, and, and give them uh, the equal opportunity they deserve. Brilliant. And just to finish off one of my favourites, do you have a dad joke? Like a really corny joke. <laughs> I told a joke yesterday that they accused me of having a mum joke that was so bad. So, um no, my husband, I leave my husband uh-huh. with the dad jokes. They are so terrible. He's got this whole range of duck jokes. I, I look, give me one of those. I'm a duck oh, joke fan. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got a few up my sleeve. <laughs> duck, duck goes, no, I can't even remember it. They're so terrible. I can't, no, I'm not going to tell you. I can't okay. tell you. They're to, too terrible. You get him to call me. <laughs> yeah, I will. There's, they always seem to start off with a duck goes into a bar. Yeah. That's all I remember. Yeah. That's it. That's it. So nothing else. No other jokes. Nothing. You can... No, I don't do jokes nah, very well. Very I only well. ever. I always remember the punchline, but not the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're the one that spoils the joke. That one I try not to because I, I. Yeah, and somebody will be get halfway through the joke and go, "I know that uh, joke," yeah. and and people look at me and it's like, "Oh, she's going to do it again." Yes. So no, I've, I've learned. I have learned. Yes. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time today. It's been enlightening. I am absolutely positive that whoever is listening to this, they will take a lot away. Really, really appreciate your time. Where can we find you? What's LinkedIn with me? LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn. Yeah. So Joe Stewart Rattray, you've got a website too, or not? No, you're the you got the BRM BRM Advisory Advisory dot com dot au, or or as I say, go to go to LinkedIn. You'll find me. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump onto the Synergy IQ Facebook page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at 
synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.